Close your eyes. Imagine a world where corporations control everything. It's hard to imagine, right? Well, not anymore. Thanks to the outer worlds, you finally have an opportunity to explore the world of your wildest dreams, assuming you dream of middle management and extreme corporate oversight. Welcome to the Totally Biased Media Podcast. I'm Jordan, and I'm joined by my brothers. I'm Jason. And I'm Jackson. And now, let's get into it. Outer Wilds is not the game we are talking about on this episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. That was our last episode. You should go listen to it. But this time, we're talking about Outer Worlds. A totally distinct game with no other similarities aside from there's some space and uh, the first word is also outer. And the first letter of the second word is also W. But that's where the comparisons stop. They also released like five months apart. They also end in LD. S. Well, no. (laughs) There's an S. That's true. There's, Uh, There's an S in Wilds too, though. Wait, yeah, they all end in LDS. This is a weird thing to get into now, though. (laughs) Nah, I'm cool with it. Uh, Outer Worlds. This is a 2019 game released by Obsidian Entertainment. Uh, They are best known for Fallout New Vegas, which is probably one of the biggest cult classics of all time. And if you listen to our 50th episode, you'll learn that it's one of our favorite games of all time. But I won't tell you which host said that. And I'm sure it won't come up in this episode at all. Uh, They also made Pillars Uh, of Eternity. Yep. And they also had the recent uh, confusingly successful Grounded, uh, which is just Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but a video game, which as cool of a concept as as that is, I just have not played that game yet. Well, it's also really (laughs) kind of a weird game for them to work on because just about everything else they've made is an open world RPG. Yeah, it's also tonally very different. Like, I think a lot of their games are kind of funny, but then that's like a very, like, cartoony, stylized, kind of over-the-top humor, which is just very weird for them. And they were also making it at the same time as Outer Worlds, which is really weird. Like, I think the first uh, beta for it launched just a couple of months after Outer Worlds did, which is very confusing to me. You guys didn't tell me we were doing an episode about Grounded. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, this is a game that originally released in 2019, and uh, just to get into our experiences a little bit with it, I played it and actually finished it in 2019 when it first launched, and was really, really impressed by it, but basically as soon as the credits rolled, I was just like, well, I'm done with this, and never touched it again until this episode. Jason, what were what were your original experiences? I was really excited, and I, I think I picked it up either at launch or very shortly after. But uh, the prologue just didn't hook me, and <laughs> I stopped playing very quickly. Uh, and I, I tried picking it up a couple of times since then, but I, I just never really got into it until this time. When I actually had something kind of pushing me through it. <laughs> the prologue does feel a little bland, especially playing it for like, the third time now <laughs> i also just yeah. don't like the combat i don't like it too much it's a little bad <laughs> um <laughs> and, and i feel like the first world is pretty pretty combat heavy for sure i went into this kind of like 
I was interested in doing the episode because I thought it was kind of funny to do like an Outer Wilds, Outer Worlds thing with the podcast, you know, three years after that actually, like after that confusion actually happened. But after finishing Outer Wilds and the idea of going to like a big, like heavy RPG like this, I was kind of like, eh, not really feeling it. But after actually giving it a couple of hours and you know, reacquainting myself with the characters and the world and the, the, it's very unique style. I was really into it. Like, I'm really glad we came back to this game because, you know, I don't think it's as deep and complex as an, of an RPG as a lot of Obsidian fans really wanted it to be. But I still think like as a space romp where you're running from planet to planet, fighting aliens and bandits and, you know, taking on these mega corporations that control these planets, like, I think all that stuff is really cool, and I think if you can kind of divorce it from Obsidian's roots, I think it's like a, a pretty stellar, just like, space shooter situation. I <laughs> think it not being as deep as, like, Fallout, New Vegas, or other, like, Bethesda-style RPGs is actually what made me like it a lot more than all of those. Because I always felt like there was just too much going on in those, and I didn't know what to focus on, which always led to me just like, running around in circles for a majority of the game until I got bored of that. Well, in this one, I feel like a lot more of the stuff is interconnected. And I feel like there's also a lot less just like random stuff. For instance, uh, about a third of the way through the game, or probably about a fourth of the way through a game, you go to this planet called Roseway, where you get a good chunk of side quests and a main quest that sends you to a few different areas. And like, Everything takes place at those few different areas. You don't get like three or four side quests to go to three or four different locations completely outside of all that. It's a very focused game for it to still be an open world RPG. Yeah. But I think I'm most interested in Jason's opinion on all of this. I, I would disagree. I, I felt like this game, I mean, especially if we're comparing it to the Bethesda RPGs, maybe excluding Skyrim here, but... It felt a little bit aimless at times to me. <laughs> um, like, you have your main quest, and you have everything that's kind of a little bit building towards it. <laughs> but, I don't know, and a lot of it really didn't seem connected in a super satisfying way. Like, I enjoyed all of the individual quests and everything, but it, it didn't feel like my what I did on Roseway mattered at all. <laughs> like... There was nothing in the world changed because of what I did in Roseway. Nobody really even talked about it, which, I mean, it's a secret research base. <laughs> that is one thing that I do find, like, worse than other games in this sort of RPG style. Because, like, I really do like how it's a lot simpler. There's not so much going on at once, but I do feel like a lot of the stuff, like, story-wise isn't interconnected. I think when you compare it to something like Fallout New Vegas, I everything in Fallout New Vegas is interacting with two major <laughs> NPC like factions that you're working with, and everything is building towards the fight, the big fight at the end with uh, between the Legion and the NCR. So like everything you do is either helping the NCR or hurting them, uh, and then the same with the Legion. This game it didn't really feel like any of the corporations mattered beyond like their stuff is everywhere i mean like um roseway is like an auntie cleo's 
which is one of the the major corporations in Outer Worlds. But it didn't really feel like the way Auntie Cleo's felt towards me as a faction mattered at all. Yeah. One thing, like, I keep noticing when playing is that whenever you do certain side quests and stuff, like, depending on, like, whatever you choose as the outcome for it, like, it'll say, like, reputation increased with Groundbreaker, which is one of the, like, kind of major-ish cities that you go to. Yeah. Um, But, like, that never really does much. <laughs> Like, the characters say, don't really act differently. Yeah, I would say there are three major factions in this game that actually... Or, no, four, I guess. Probably four. Four yeah. that actually come up, and that's the two factions on Monarch, uh, the board, and Groundbreaker. But there are, I think, ten factions listed <laughs> under the faction like menu. And a few of them are kind of faceless corporations, which I think takes away from it too, where some of them have some of them have known representatives that you can get to go get to know really well, and some of them are basically abstract abstract concepts, which is there's definitely an unevenness between the factions in that way. Yeah, and the game makes a big deal about how all of the factions are corporations that are at least on some level, at war with each other. Right. <laughs> Maybe not like outright, but like they make it very clear that Spacer's Choice and Auntie Cleo's, two of the major corporations in the game, absolutely hate each other. Yeah. Um, when I finished this game, uh, of those 10 factions that I mentioned, I was revered by all of them, which is, I think, revered is the highest, uh, the highest faction influence you can have. Yeah. I was revered by every single faction except for the bad guys. <laughs> and it just, it didn't really feel earned. It didn't feel like I needed to kind of, the only factions you have to worry about like choosing between at all are the two on Monarch. And then every other faction is just kind of on the sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> and they like you if you do side quests for them and they don't like you if you don't do side quests for them or if you kill them. But like I mentioned, the, the, there's nothing nothing you do for Auntie Cleo's affects how Spacer's Choice feels about you. It just kind of feels like a missed opportunity. That's really one of only two significant gripes I have with this game. Because I think all of the side quests are really fun. I think that they have really cool premises and they generally go in directions you're not expecting. Um, I, I was genuinely impressed even playing it a second time at how even quests that start off as kind of simple fetch questy things can evolve into more complex things. Like I think a lot of the quests actually are really cool, but I don't think that there's enough of a reaction to you doing those quests. Like for example, there is one where you have to find, uh, there is a person that is just, you, you know, they stop you in the middle of town. They're like, my son has gone missing. I need your help finding him. And that quest can go like eight different ways. You can, uh, find him, you can bring him back, you can, you know, let him stay where he is, you can convince the mother to go join him, like, you can, like, it can go so many different directions, but basically no matter what you pick, because I did two different ones in my two different playthroughs, when you see them afterwards and you talk to those characters, like, even the characters directly involved, when you talk to them, they're just like, hey, how you doing? It's just like, I fundamentally changed your life in a pretty significant way. I feel like you owe me more than just generic NPC chatter. 
Uh, that being said, I still think like it is a good number of quests, and the vast mm-hmm. majority of them are actually pretty cool. So like I won't I won't complain about that too much. But that's definitely one of two things I really really hope that the sequel fixes. The yeah. other one is pretty much just that the combat is weird. I wouldn't necessarily say bad because I think it actually has fun moments. I yeah, I think it can be fun. I think for the most part it's just kind of bland. It's bland and unbalanced, but never in a way that totally sinks it. Like it's always it's always enough fun that if I'm walking to a location and I see some random mercenaries sitting around, I will still fight them. Yeah. But like it's not super exciting a lot of the time. No, I do think it feels better than like other Bethesda style RPGs, but mostly that's just because all those are from like, you know, at least the ones I've played are like from before 2012. <laughs> I would say the gunplay in this game is probably on par with something like Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, I guess. Um it's definitely not as good as something like Fallout 4. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I never played much of Fallout 4, so I can't really compare to that. But I think it feels a lot better than, like, Fallout 3 or New I, Vegas. Because, yeah. again, it's, like, you know, like, eight years better. But it's missing, like... It doesn't have anything, like, interesting about it that sets it apart. Like, it has the it has the ability to slow down time. But, like, I honestly don't touch that much. I think part of the issue is you're too powerful. Yeah, it, it it never really felt like I had to really get into combat because unless I was fighting like a boss enemy, I knew that I wasn't going to die. <laughs> yeah, I think I died like twice and it was right at the beginning when I had like only two weapons. Exactly. I think the only time that I died in combat after leaving the first planet was due to like a weird glitch where... <laughs> Uh, I had a I had a fire debuff on me. Like my character had been set on fire, and there was a countdown on it, and the countdown just was not counting down. <laughs> so I was just on fire forever. Um, and I I don't even remember if I actually died or if I just reloaded. The only time I actually died in the entire game, uh, this playthrough at least. I'm sure I died plenty in the first playthrough, but this time the only time I died the entire time was because of a glitch where. You, you had to walk through a hallway where there was steam vents shooting steam out at you and they were like they would cut off and on in like weird increments and for some reason when one hit me which should have done like a fifth of my health at most it pushed me into a wall and i got stuck there like where my actual character model was like halfway inside the wall and i couldn't mm-hmm. get out of the steam it was the only time i died the entire game if you use the the slow time, the tactical time dilation, I think is what it's officially called. If you use that like to its fullest, you just can you can down basically any enemy in the the course of that one bar, pretty much regardless of what gun you're using. And it's not very expensive to upgrade your guns a lot. <laughs> so I basically the entire game, my entire loadout was like five levels above my character level. Uh, just because it's not very expensive to just run around with ridiculously powerful guns. Plus, the science weapons are even more busted. But that's in a fun way, so I give those a pass. On like, the on the topic of the guns, I remember when the game came out, one of the big criticisms was that all the guns felt the same, which I think does hold true to some extent. But once you start 
modifying your weapons a lot, it really does open the doors to a lot of different things. I don't feel like the mods do enough to make the weapon feel different. I mean, like, changing the weapon damage type to be electricity or plasma is... Well, you also can add a lot of things, like, that just make your gun, like, you know, I mean, it, it, a lot of it is simple things, just like, uh, like extended magazine or uh, faster like time to pull out your weapon uh, and like sights but I feel like whenever I did modify a weapon in some way like that it did feel different like for instance I've been playing the game for the most part with this just a simple plasma rifle with a scope on it which basically turned it from a uh, unusable like sort of medium range weapon to a very powerful sniper. <laughs> I think that the game does a weird thing that I, I kind of like in, a, in one way, but it's kind of frustrating in another where the weapons are like in tiers and they will, you'll get, like when you start the game, you have like all these low tier weapons and they're all like fine for where you're at, but they don't scale super well. But then like, Five or six hours in, you basically get to like there's a whole second tier of weapons where every, like suddenly everything you find now is now like the Mark II version of a previous weapon or the Ultra version of a previous weapon, and like the jump between those tiers is huge, and that happens like twice, but like otherwise you're just using like the same weapons for several hours getting an entirely new set of weapons and then using those for several hours and then getting the last entirely new set of weapons. And like... Yeah, it didn't feel like there were enough... I mean, the science weapons are... They're all unique and interesting and they have like special effects and stuff like that. But just like the normal weapons that you find on enemies or that you can buy from shops or find in chests, whatever. Like, those... There's only like a small handful of them. Yeah. And you're going to find out which one you like fairly early on, and then you're probably going to stick with it for most of the game. I mean, Jackson's right. Like, some of the mods make it to where you can change how a weapon is used, and, like, maybe that will fundamentally change the game for you. I never felt like I really had a moment like that, other than, you know, every once in a while, I, I would try out a new weapon just to see like how it was different from the stuff I was already using. And sometimes I would be pleasantly surprised. But Yeah, I will say I have been using like the same loadout for most of the game. A, uh... I have been trying really hard this playthrough to do more stealth. Um, so I've relied a lot more on a silenced pistol and a silenced sniper rifle, which has definitely been an interesting change because I think the first time I played through, I was pretty guns blazing the whole way. Um, but even still, once stealth is blown, it definitely devolves into the same type of guns blazing combat that I used before. And there's never quite enough incentive to reload because I get caught. Like, I just want to, you know, just play it out. Because fights are normally pretty short. There's a couple of story ones that go on for a couple of minutes. But largely, largely the random encounter-ish fights are just like the random enemies you find, you know, running across the map. They're They're pretty quick. It's three or four enemies... You can normally take down one or two in like one clip. Um, I do want to circle back on the science weapons though, because I think that those those are really cool conceptually. Um, some of them are definitely better than others, but basically these are one of a kind weapons you find in like fixed locations throughout the game that have really wild effects. Um, my favorites, for example, are a shrink ray 
that uh, does just straight up like cut an enemy size in half and they are weaker and take extra damage and slower. Basically, they're just made across the board worse when they're shrunk. Um, and then a mind control ray, which is just like a continuous beam of damage, but also if you hit them with it for long enough, they'll just turn and start fighting their friends instead. And the game sort of has a built-in conceit to that in that they use a lot of ammo and it's the hardest ammo type to find. But if you give them to a companion, they just have unlimited ammo. So I basically always have a companion using the shrink ray and always have one using the mind control get the mind control ray. So fights get pretty buck wild sometimes between people shrinking and growing and fighting their own enemy or fighting their own allies for me and all that jazz. Which I think that's really cool. And there are some weirder ones too. Like there's a uh, it's like a glue gun shoots like blobs of energy. Uh, there's a melee weapon that like freezes people in place if you hit them consistently with it. That's there's definitely some cool ideas there, even if they're not super well balanced. I totally avoided them my first playthrough because I just assumed like, you know, a shrink race sounds way too powerful. I'm sure you have to use it a ton, or it's like a small chance of actually activating or whatever. But actually experimenting more with this playthrough, like they're just very powerful sometimes. Yeah, I I do really like the science weapons. I think that it's kind of the same idea that they were going for with like the legendary weapons in Fallout New Vegas, but these weapons like honestly feel unique. Like the science weapons are at least for the most part nothing like any of the other weapons in the game at all, and they're yeah. not even they're not even very consistent among themselves. There are a few that are just n- not as good. Yeah, <laughs> like there's sure. a hammer that does uh, all of the all of the extra damage types. And I think it's the only weapon that does that. But it sounds really cool. And I had characters that were already using like big melee weapons like that. But it just, it didn't work well for me and it didn't work, seem like it was working well for them. So that was a little disappointing. Yeah. But I mean like the shrink ray, the mind control ray, the glue gun, like those, those are all really fun to mess with. And they definitely have a, a decent effect on like how combat goes. Yeah. Which there are still traditional legendary weapons. I don't know what the game actually calls them, but they're just like special versions of existing weapons that just have really good perks or just extra, they're slightly better stats in some way or whatever, but they're not nearly as interesting as the science weapons. They do usually have funny names. Though. I do have a, a corrosive sword that I got from some cannibals that... Uh, everything about it's related to them being cannibals. Uh, it's, it's a good time. <laughs> so I think, for me, probably the biggest selling point of this game, the first playthrough, and I've been pleasantly surprised by again this time, is how cool your crew in the game is. Because I am not one that traditionally loves you know, those not like, uh, partner NPCs, I largely find it more interesting or not more interesting, but just more fun to run around in a game by myself if I have the option. But I think that all six of the NPCs in this game are, are pretty dang cool. Uh, a few just really great standouts. Who were y'all's personal favorite companions? My favorite two were Ellie and Felix. You meet both of them on the groundbreaker uh, Ellie's whole thing is that she used to be a surgeon, uh, but she hated all the red tape and stuff that she ran into, so she decided to become a pirate. And Felix's whole thing is that he's terrible at almost everything. 
So he joins your crew because everyone else uh, has pretty much already just been like, ignore Felix. (laughs) Yeah. He joins your crew, I think, because uh, he got fired from his previous job for hitting his previous boss with a hammer or something like that. A toss ball stick. Ah, That's a real sport. (laughs) I love the toss ball thing. It's a really minor detail, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, Toss ball is a made-up sport they play in this universe, and if you spend a lot of time with Felix and the, like, and different companions talking to Felix, you will learn that toss ball is is a completely incomprehensible sport. (laughs) It has, like, a thousand rules that make absolutely no sense. It has all these made-up words for, like, what the different actions in the sport are. It's ridiculous, and I love it. It's a a good gag that they play on a lot in this game, but only if you hang out with Felix and, like, mix up who else you're hanging with a lot because he'll have, like, he'll tell each person different stuff about Tossball. Anyways, Jackson, who were your favorite characters? I'm also a big Felix fan, but the other companion that I usually have with me at all times is Pavardi, who is an engineer who's just trying to be nice to everyone. Her name is Parvati. Huh. Jackson puts the letters in the wrong order. Jason says it with a weird uh, emphasis. (laughs) Sorry, her name in the game is Parvati. Yeah. (laughs) But there are real people in the world named Parvati. Yeah. Uh, um, But yeah, she's just like, she's she's the first companion you get in the game. So like... You're with her for a lot of the game because you'll have her by your side for like the first like few side missions before you get to any other companion. <laughs> She's just trying to be nice to everyone, make sense of uh, everything being bad. And she's an engineer, so you get a lot of extra points to that, which is good for me because I put a lot of points in engineering. Yeah, see, I think part of the reason I picked the people that I did is because I wanted to cover up for my deficits. Uh, because I didn't have very high medical, and I got medical from Ellie, and I don't know, I just liked having Felix around, because I, I feel like his interactions with the other people in the world were the most interesting. I sort of had the same thing with Parvati, like, I don't I don't think her stats necessarily had anything to do with my decision to normally have her on my team, as much as I really appreciated having a character around that was just very naive, and just like loved the idea of the fact that she was out traveling on a ship and would just comment on like what were pretty benign things even by like our standards uh and talk about them with like so much enthusiasm parvati is probably like one of my favorite npcs in any video game just because i think she brings a such a such an unusual energy to a sci-fi rpg because she's just like blown away by everything all the time And also, like, it's weird to talk about as, like, a straight white man, but, like, it's cool that there's an asexual woman in a video game, which I don't know of literally any other asexual character, like, canonically asexual character in any other video game ever. I think that probably the, like, this this playthrough, the companion I've spent the most time with that I didn't necessarily the first playthrough was uh, Nyoka. She is a bounty hunter that you have to recruit along the way just to help you track down some folks but i like her because even though i think she's probably the most kind of stereotypical of any of the of any of your crewmates she's also the one that just lets you go out and do the most cool space stuff and she's also the one that when you meet her is like the best equipped just to go out and kill some stuff (laughs) which makes sense because she is a bounty hunter but, like, when you find her, she already has, like, pretty good armor. 
a machine gun that was significantly stronger than anything else I had at that point. And, you know, most of our quests are pretty, you know, generic RPG stuff. You have to find some former companions of hers you used to fight with, you know, fight alongside, and you have to take down some big old monsters. And But, like, it's still cool to just go out and do some, you know, normal space piratey stuff that I think was, was a lot of fun. Stuff that I didn't necessarily appreciate as much the first time around. Yeah, I remember you saying when we first started playing this that you didn't like any of the companions. It wasn't that I didn't like any of them. It's just that I liked Parvati and Felix so much that I didn't mm-hmm. really like mess with the others as much in my first playthrough, where this time I switch it up way more. Like Every time I came off, the, off of the ship this time around, I would switch it up from the last time. Unless I was, you know, of course, working on a quest specifically for a companion. The only one that I didn't use a lot was uh, Sam, who is a robot. But that's more just because Sam doesn't have the same level of, like, you don't have the same types of interactions with Sam that you do with everybody else. It's nothing against, like, the character conceptually or anything. I don't really remember because last time I had Sam was when I played this for the first time in 2019. But, like, he doesn't really, like, have a personality or anything. He just is a robot, right? He likes cleaning. Yeah. Ah, okay. He's a cleaning robot. Yeah, this sounds boring. I'm not going to use Sam. He's still easy to get. And, you know, <laughs> there's trophies tied to having the companions. So, you know. I do like all of the companions. I think my one complaint with Nyoka is just that you get her later than everyone else. Yeah. So I had kind of already decided, like, who I wanted to travel with. And then I got another companion and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Yeah, if she didn't come already equipped with like better gear and stuff than everybody else, there's no chance I would have used her. Just because uh I, you know, I already was fond of these other characters. I had already kind of gotten used to like how they paired up and what their skills were and all that jazz. But I still think like all six of them together is like a pretty solid crew. I really hope that the sequel, which they have said basically nothing about, uh, will still feature these characters in some capacity. I think it's like a really strong crew that brings a lot to it, especially after you do their companion quests and learn way more about them. So like, I really hope to see them at least. I really hope, you know, at least a few of them are companions again next time. I really like to see it be the sort of Mass Effect style where they come back just in different roles and, uh, you know, maybe build out the actual roster with a few new folks as well. Yeah. A little weird because it does end with, it has a slideshow ending kind of like any of the Fallout games where it's like, this companion went off and did this. Yeah. In- including, like, the player character. <laughs> so I, d- I don't even necessarily know what a sequel to this game looks like. Yeah, I'm assuming... I mean, there's obviously some sequel bait at the end of the game. Which sure. I, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to get into. So, like, I, I get where it's going to go from a story perspective, but I don't really know how these characters would factor into that. Especially considering, like, you get to decide the outcomes for some of the characters, like right. how they end up after your after the game. Unfortunately, I'm almost sure that the sequel just will take place like pretty far in the future, but we'll see. Maybe Sam will still be there. This time, <laughs> yeah. it'll be about communism. That's gonna be the big change. It's it's pretty pretty obvious what where it's gonna go story-wise yeah uh, once you finish the game like there's not there's not like a lot of questions about that i don't think i will say without getting too far into 
the you know the specifics, especially because there can be multiple endings depending on the choices you make. I'm mm-hmm. I'm excited for a sequel mostly because they're clearly setting up something where I don't even know how to say this without giving a bunch of stuff away. The turmoil that is sort of under the surface of this game is going to be a lot more explicit in a sequel. We can already kind of see that. And I think that will be cool to see, assuming it's done properly and they expand on some of these factions and stuff a little bit in the future, which I really think they will. I I would really like to see the factions expanded upon. And I mean, I do need to give Obsidian credit. They made it very clear from the beginning that this is not a triple-A game. Like, this is just a double-A single... Like, yeah, <laughs> this doesn't have the kind of resources poured into it that something like a Fallout has. Right. So, it's also much shorter. I mean, you can beat the story yeah. of this game in probably 10 hours if you're just focusing on the story. Um, I'd say it's probably closer to, like, 30 to really get, you know, like, to do as much as you can do in one playthrough. But mm-hmm. it can be a really short game if you're just focusing on the story. I really want to see more interactions between factions because I like the stuff that you do on Monarch with the two major factions there. I like how both factions kind of have their own thing going on, but if you want to, you can work to bring them together. And then at the end of the game, like they come help you together, which I I think is really neat. But like I mentioned, like there's no real interaction between factions in the game beyond that which was a little disappointing and i would, I, I think that rpgs like this need to have that kind of interaction for sure for sure i mean i gave the combat crap earlier i think that's honestly like my only real complaint is just the lack of kind of i don't need, i mean i'm just gonna just a broken record at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i think that if it beefs up the way that your actions impact the world and the gunplay just feels a little bit better in a sequel. I don't think there's really anything else it would need to do because I think like this was a, this was an excellent proof of concept. It was a really good standalone game, even if it doesn't have the depth or the, you know, infinite future that fallout does. Like, I still think like what they did here is really cool. And this game is, it's still fun to just run through, fight some aliens, help some people in need, take down some corporations. Like, like all that stuff is still fun, even though I can definitely see, like, the glaring issues that fans of this genre, you know, really disliked about this game. Or at the very least weren't as yeah. smitten by in this game as they are in a lot of others. I think I'd also like to see factions pay more attention to your attitude. For sure, for it's sure. It's kind of weird... Like, anytime I was working with a corporation, I would almost always make it clear, like, I'm not helping you as a corporation. I'm trying to help the people that are getting screwed over by this situation. And maybe that's just me being a corporate stooge on some level. But (laughs) I do think, like, the faction probably, like, Spacer's Choice or Auntie Cleo's, like, probably shouldn't like me to the degree that they do in game when I make it very clear, I don't like them or what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. You can be very outright mean to people and they just do not care as long as you help them in the end. (laughs) You know, I'm not a writer on this kind of thing. So maybe, uh, maybe I'm not thinking deep enough. Maybe I am a corporate (laughs) stooge. Yeah. That's what it is. 
It's just like, well, you say you don't like doing it, all this work for the corporation, but you keep doing it. It's true. I keep saying that I want these mega corporations to go down, but I still buy stuff on Amazon at least a few times a year. So, you know, maybe I'm too bought You say in. you want to take down the corporations ruining the galaxy, yet you participate in capitalism. Yep. Curious. <laughs> I'm very smart. <laughs> good game. Go play it. Yeah, it's definitely a good game. It's on Game Pass, so if you have an Xbox and or PC, you know, you can you can check it out, which it's the best deal in gaming, so why wouldn't you? <laughs> I will say I started the DLC and from a story perspective, I really like it so far. The first DLC's uh Peril on Gorgon. It has like an interesting hook to it of exploring a asteroid where they were running like top secret tests to develop one of the drugs that's in the game. And you're kind of trying to figure out why this top secret research facility was shut down and you're helping the people that were left behind on the asteroid. It's pretty cool. I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, I'm definitely planning to jump into the DLC when I finish the story this time. The combat kind of starts to wear on you a little bit in the DLC just because... I don't think it necessarily scales very well towards the end game, but it's a kind of minor complaint. All the enemies are at least a little bit different, and since they're all addicted to this drug, uh, they all like move erratically and very quickly, and it, it definitely makes the combat a little bit more active, at least. <laughs> There's less people just kind of standing around, but uh, yeah, if you guys enjoy the main game, I would recommend picking up or playing the DLC when you get a chance. I don't know if the DLC is included in Game Pass, though. No, it is not. Uh, but I think you can pick it up for just a couple of bucks each. Or I think if you catch it at the right time, you can catch the game with the DLC on sale for like 12 15 bucks, something like that. So it's definitely there are definitely good sales out there if you're patient or if you just want to stick with Game Pass and just get the DLC. I recommend this game if you don't like corporations or you very much do like corporations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> corporations. If you're just somewhere in the middle, you can get out of here. <laughs> yeah. No no fence riders in my outer worlds. Yep. But I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what else have you been into? Well, this is something you guys have been into too. That. Ah, uh, reading. The, the new season of Fortnite started a few weeks ago. This is season four or five of chapter three. I don't know. Chapter three, season four. I kind of lost track after the first one when I stopped playing it regularly. <laughs> but I've been playing this one a good bit more than the previous seasons. And pretty good. Not like any like huge changes like there would be like at the beginning of like a chapter or anything. But still some pretty cool stuff. There's chrome everywhere. Everything's been chromed. Uh, literally, that, that literally just is what it is. Like, a bunch of stuff has been turned to chrome. It's sort of like a goo that infects other things and turns them to chrome. Torn a lot of the locations on the map are flying now. Yeah, there's that too. You know, to, to so, they, so they don't get chromed, I guess. Can't get chromed if you're not on the ground. Yeah. I think the chrome's really cool mechanically because it... It lets you turn into like a blob that can go faster and you're smaller and like you uh, don't take run faster, yeah. jump higher. You like slowly restore health. Um, and then there's like chrome weapons that 
you know, start off kind of rough, but the more you use them, they get stronger, which is really cool. I don't understand the chrome thing narratively because as far as i can tell the chrome just makes everything better but in fiction everyone's terrified of the chrome yeah because like in like the story trailer a bunch of people get turned to chrome and like become one become one with the chrome but in this we're just using it all the time yeah well in that video she does go to an alternate dimension so maybe she just went to a dimension where the chrome is good yeah that's how she that's how they're combating it it's like oh no the bad guys are here i guess we could just like go to a universe where they're not bad guys right (laughs) but uh yeah throughout last season there was like this like looming villain over it that we didn't know who it was or anything uh that's the herald who has brought the chrome um he's not very strong yeah you can defeat him pretty easily and then you get uh, a mythic weapon for it He's much weaker than Darth Vader was. Yeah. Or The Rock when you could kill him. (laughs) (laughs) Man, this game is buck wild. Now, Fortnite is weird. I mean, like, I love it. We play it, like, every night. But it's also, like, kind of a mess all the time. (laughs) But, yeah, new season, new stuff, new weapons, you know, all that good stuff. Same same old Fortnite, but not the same. Same Fortnite, same, same Fort channel. channel. But anyways, Jason. No, I'm cutting in. I'm doing mine first All this right. time. And it'll make sense why very soon. This week, they added, or technically two weeks ago now, whatever, they added the Sly Cooper collection to PlayStation Plus. Now, unfortunately, it's only streamable, which means that from the hour of like 6 to 10 p.m., this game is unplayable for me because our internet goes to crap in the evenings because we live in a fairly small town. I decided to dig back into the whole trilogy from the beginning because I'm a true fan. And uh, boy, howdy, let me tell you, it has been a heck of a nostalgia trip. And also, I have learned the flaws of Sly Cooper 1 were much bigger than I originally realized. I really love the Sly Cooper series. I talked about it for quite a while on our 50th episode special, so I I, I recommend going back to listen to that. But uh, Sly Cooper 1 is, is fascinating because I think it has really cool platforming, really cool style. There was a lot of really good ideas on display here, but it's also like kind of taken down by a repetitiveness to the main level types. But then it's also flooded with these just very weird and generally bad mini games. There's like twin stick shooter stuff and some driving segments. And uh, there's like some turret stuff. But the game just didn't have very good aiming. And when you're driving a car, you do it by just moving it like you're moving a regular character. Like you don't have like a gas and brake button. You just like move the left stick. And the car kind of follows it, but it still has to, like, drift and take wide turns and stuff, which is very weird. Um, So, anyways, uh, Sly Cooper, if you really liked the series as a kid like I did, it's great to dig back into it. But if you're entirely new to the series, I think there's a lot of great stuff to see. I would probably start with Sly 2, (laughs) which, uh, with that, I'll hand it over to Jason. (laughs) So I've also been playing the Sly Collection that was recently added to PlayStation Plus slash PlayStation Now or whatever. 
but I started with Sly 2 because I've already gotten the platinum on Sly 1 twice, essentially. <laughs> and I think I've gotten most of what I'm going to get out of that game. Sly 2, on the other hand, I think really improves on just about everything from Sly 1. For sure. Uh, I like that it kind of switched over to being more episodic where every... It, the game's basically separated into eight or nine episodes, as it calls them, uh, and each one is putting together a heist to steal part of uh, Clockwork, which is the big bad from the first game. He was a robot. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Maybe. He was a cyborg, I guess. Technically. Yeah, cyborg. <laughs> but anyways. Um, <laughs> but each mission in Sly 2 is more or less putting together one part of that heist, whether it be... You know, just doing some reconnaissance beforehand and taking pictures of all the important stuff they're going to need to interact with to do the heist or going and shutting down a water pump by throwing a bunch of enemies into it. I think it's a really good game. Um, It also improves on the first one by having one. They took Murray. There there are three characters in the Sly Cooper gang, Sly, Bentley and Murray. And they're basically, um, I guess Sly is just the leader. (laughs) Sly is the one actually getting out there stealing stuff. Yeah, and then there was Murray in the first game, who didn't really do anything except drive the van. And in Sly 2, they were like, we should make him strong, because he's a hippo. (laughs) Yeah, he's the muscle and the driver now. But they also made all three of the characters playable. They all play very uniquely and different from each other. Sly's movement's all about... You know, sneaking around and jumping around on rooftops, whereas Bentley has a crossbow that he can use to put enemies to sleep, and Murray can punch stuff. Yeah. Like, Sly, you have to be kind of careful. Like, you have to just kind of stick to the shadows because you can't take on many enemies at once. And uh, Murray can just steam, like, steamroll everything. Like, he can just, he can just get into a fight with a hundred guys and be fine. I think Murray kills every enemy in the game. In two hits. Yeah. <laughs> except for bosses. Sure, yeah. I just think it, it improves on everything about the first game, but not just in a making the levels better kind of way. Like, it it changes up the whole formula, but in a wholly positive way. Because the first game yeah. had this weird thing where every level you got a key, and for some reason just every significant thing you had to do in the game required o- opening a bunch of padlocks. I don't understand it, but this game, you know, every quest actually makes sense in terms of it is contributing to this heist in some capacity. It's either getting knowledge or equipment or even just like already like going in and actually laying down the equipment you're going to need. Like everything, everything you do is directly contributing to the heist and it it gives you like these cool recap type things or not even always recap, but sometimes like pre-planning cutscenes. Where it's like, okay, we're going to get X, Y, and Z. And we're going to put it here, here, and here to set us up to do this. And it's like, it definitely has like a heist movie vibe to each individual episode, which I really, really like. And also just, I think that the first game tried to make each of the worlds and each level within those worlds kind of equal. Well, this game doesn't care to do that. It gives everything the amount of attention it deserves. Like a quest where you're just going into stealing one item and getting out isn't going to be as long as some of the other quests, which require, you know, hitting multiple places throughout the space, and that's fine. Like I like they don't have to all be 100% equal. Like the first game tried to make them. And I really like the final mission in each uh, episode, 
where like you're actually pulling off the heist because it's not just you playing a sly doing whatever his part is. You actually switch between all of the different characters and sometimes, you know, like it goes back in time so you can see what a one of the other characters was doing while you were off doing one part of the heist. Everything flows together really well and it's just really fun. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed like I liked playing through Sly One again, like for sure. Like no doubt it was a good time. But like playing through Sly Two again has been excellent. I'm not very far into it at all, and I it's a it's actually a pretty lengthy game for the type of game it is. But I, I definitely have a lot more to get into. But I'm I'm really liking it so far. It also has really I I really like the cutscenes at the beginning and end of each chapter because it's like a similar art style to the cutscenes in Sly One, where it's supposed to look comic booky. But it's just done so much better in two. Like you can tell, yeah. there's a major upgrade there. Yeah, you could tell one they were running on both a shoestring budget and just not a lot of people on board. Whereas by the time Sly Two came out, which was just a couple of years later, they clearly were working with a much bigger, more established team, and they made something a lot bigger. So I think, like in terms of explorable area. Like, one or two episodes of Sly 2 already is, like, a bigger game than Sly 1. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty wild how much this game evolved between 1 and 2. And we'll get into 3 another day. <laughs> I'll talk about it next episode. Yeah. Jackson skips straight to 3. Yeah. We get Jackson to skip straight to Sly 3. <laughs> I don't know what outside party we're going to get to jump straight to Sly 4, but we'll do that, too. Well... I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are several ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Uh, Third, on Twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. And fourth, you can send an email to TotallyBiasedMedia at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you on any of those sources. If you have suggestions for what we talk about in the future, we'd love to hear it because we do have some gaps in our schedule coming up where there's not new release games to talk about. Um, we try to stream at least once every other week. Uh, if you have suggestions for what we stream or when we stream, we would love to hear it. Uh, anything and everything you want to tell us, we want to hear it. I mean, if you have your own reviews for games, we would love to get them on the podcast. We would love to read them as part of one of these type of segments. So, you know, anything you want to tell us, we would love to hear it and we would love to engage however we reasonably can. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.